Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, November 1st. In today's news, the House votes on party lines to formalize its impeachment inquiry, as another White House aide corroborates key testimony. Most human smugglers at the southern border, it turns out, are U.S. citizens. And President Trump says he's no longer a New Yorker. He's claiming Florida residency. But first, the big idea. With the Capitol consumed by impeachment and the World Series, there have been several overlooked stories this week that highlight the escalating, even existential danger of climate change. New research shows that rising seas will be much worse and more expensive to deal with than previously thought. Not because of faster changes in sea level rises, but because of an increase in estimates of the number of people living on low ground. The upshot of a big new study is that 110 million people worldwide live below the high tide level, including many partly protected by seawalls or other infrastructure, as in New Orleans. Even under a scenario of very modest climate change, that number will rise to 150 million in 2050 and 190 million by 2100. If climate change and sea level rise follow a worse path, as many as 340 million people living below the high tide level could be in peril, to say nothing of how many could be affected by floods and other extreme events like the fires we're seeing this week in California. Such figures are three times or more higher than earlier estimates. And there are two stories in our newspaper today that humanize the consequences of rising sea levels. My colleague Brady Dennis reports from Quebec on an island that's literally crumbling into the sea. High on a bluff overlooking the Gulf of St. Lawrence, he introduces us to a woman named Adele Chiasen. She no longer ventures into her backyard because it's falling into the sea. The 70-foot-tall red sandstone cliffs creep closer with each passing year. Sections fall off randomly. The sea has claimed the ground where her children used to play. Two of her neighbors' homes have been moved inland. Soon, she says she'll have no choice but to flee the precarious patch of earth where she spent most of her life. The more than 12,000 residents on that windswept Canadian archipelago are facing a growing number of gut-wrenching choices just like that one. Season after season, storm after storm, it's becoming clearer that the sea, which has always sustained these islands, is now their greatest threat. The Magdalen Islands, as they're known in English, have warmed 2.3 degrees Celsius since the late 19th century. That's twice the global average. Just like here in New England, Siberia, and other global hotspots at higher latitudes, winters are heating up even more quickly. That change has fueled freezing and thawing cycles that wreak havoc on the famous and famously fragile sandstone cliffs. The sea ice that used to encase the islands most winters, shielding them from the brunt of fierce storms and pounding waves, has been shrinking at a rate of 555 square miles every year. Every year. For context, that's a swath of ice larger than the city of Los Angeles. Even as that natural defense collapses, sea levels have been rising at a rate roughly twice the global norm in recent years. The result is an escalating battle against erosion and flooding. Some parts of the shoreline have lost as much as 14 feet per year to the sea over the past decade. Key roads face perpetual risk of washing out. The local hospital and city hall sit alarmingly close to deteriorating cliffs. Rising waters also threaten to contaminate aquifers used for drinking water. 
And closer to home, back here in the United States, Marissa Lang went to Fox Island, Virginia for a story in our metro section. Generations of middle and high school students from the D.C. area will recognize that name. They've gone out to the Virginia Island. It's six miles off the eastern shore. They learn about the fragile ecosystem of the Chesapeake Bay. But ironically and tragically, the island has succumbed to the very forces the educational programs have sought to fight. The warming climate causing rising sea levels and disappearing shores. So now the center is shutting down. In the past 40 years, water has swallowed 70% of Fox Island. It's named that way because when viewed from above, the land once resembled a fox plodding along through the waves. No more. In 1773, when the island was first discovered, it stretched 426 acres. When the Chesapeake Bay Foundation conducted a satellite survey earlier this year, only 34 acres were left. Soon, they'll be gone too. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a White House advisor who, until this week, was one of the top people on the National Security Council, corroborated key impeachment testimony from a senior U.S. diplomat who said last week that he was alarmed by efforts to pressure the Ukrainian government to investigate Trump's political rivals in exchange for $400 million in military aid. Tim Morrison, who oversaw all Russia and Europe policy on the National Security Council, told House investigators during an eight-hour deposition that the substance of his conversation that was recalled by Bill Taylor, our acting ambassador to Ukraine, was accurate. In particular, Morrison verified that Trump's envoy to the European Union, Gordon Sundland, conveyed to a Ukrainian official that the military aid would be released only if the country investigated an energy company linked to Joe Biden's son. Morrison, who announced his resignation the night before his testimony, said he didn't necessarily view the president's demands as improper or illegal, but rather problematic for U.S. policy in supporting an ally in the region. That said, his testimony is significant, given his proximity to decision-making in the White House and his status as a political appointee rather than one of the several career officials in the government who have come forward. As Morrison gave his deposition, the House voted yesterday to formalize its impeachment inquiry, setting the stage for public hearings soon. The 232 to 196 vote was on party lines. Every Republican stuck together, and all but two Democrats, Colin Peterson from Minnesota and Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey, supported Nancy Pelosi's resolution. Both represent districts that Trump handily carried in 2016. Number two, a border chase that ended in tragedy shows the growing role that U.S. citizens are playing in human smuggling. A group of San Antonio teenagers were allegedly paid thousands of bucks by Mexicans to be smuggled in two pickup trucks across the border. But when a police officer tried to pull them over, authorities say the teens floored it. One of their trucks skidded into a turn and rolled over. The local sheriff says bodies flew everywhere. Really horrific images. The crash just across the Rio Grande from Piedras Negras in Mexico has led to murder and human smuggling charges against six teenagers. The teens include a high school football player, a star track runner, and a student active in church. Trump often assails smugglers as the henchmen of international cartels and gangs. 
But more than 60% of people convicted of smuggling in federal courts over the last decade have been U.S. citizens. The majority of them have little or no criminal history. The smugglers who have been caught include down-on-their-luck truck drivers, single moms trying to make ends meet, oil field workers looking for some extra cash, and high school students. Authorities say some smuggled for a few hundred dollars, others charged thousands. According to the Sentencing Commission, some said they smuggled in order to buy diapers or pay college tuition or merely as a favor. Number three, Donald Trump is a lifelong New Yorker, but now he is calling himself a Floridian. He has changed his permanent residence from Manhattan to Palm Beach, Florida. In paperwork filed with a county clerk near his Mar-a-Lago resort, Trump declared that that is now his main domicile. In Twitter posts last night, the president alluded to his local unpopularity. 80% of the voters in the Big Apple voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. But a person close to the president says his decision was really based on lowering his tax bill. That would make Trump one of many wealthy baby boomers who have sought refuge in the southern state. Because Trump has refused to make his tax returns public, it's unclear just how much money he stands to save in the move. But Florida notably does not have a state income tax or an estate tax. In New York, meanwhile, the state's top tax rate is nearly 9%, and the city's top rate is nearly 4%. The state's top estate tax rate, which applies to fortunes greater than $10 million, is 16%. Trump's also in the middle of a legal battle with Cyrus Vance Jr., Manhattan's district attorney, who has subpoenaed eight years of the president's tax returns. City and state leaders in New York, all Democrats, endorsed Trump's decision to move to Florida. Good riddance, said Governor Andrew Cuomo, adding, he's all yours, Florida. Mayor Bill de Blasio replied to Trump directly on Twitter. He wrote, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, November 1st. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a great weekend. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. It's updated whenever news happens. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'll talk to you on Monday.